standing for life. Personally Opposed does nothing to actually stand up for the protection of innocent human beings. It does nothing to help. It's coming from a place of pain and a culture full of broken psyches trying to cover up for the trauma of abortion and rejected motherhood. Standing for truth. You got three days in the belly of a giant fish trying to figure out why you went west when God specifically told you to go east. But we all do this. You're not going to confess something the priest has never heard. You haven't invented any new sins. Whatever your struggle, you're not alone. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to heal brokenness. This is Ready to Stand on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Here's your host, Cullen Harrod. Hello and welcome to you. This is Ready to Stand, Spirit Catholic Radio Network, your home for a weekly discussion on how to build a culture of life. I'm Cullen Harold. Cullen at kvss.com is the email, C-U-L-L-E-N at kvss.com. This past week, had the opportunity to chat with Dr. John Bruchalski. Dr. Bruchalski is a former abortion provider. He had a conversion experience. He now practices life-affirming medicine. I was able to talk to Dr. Bruchalski for about an hour. So what you'll hear today is part one of that interview. And then next week on this program, you'll hear part two of the same interview. So again, part one this weekend, part two next weekend. And the goal of this radio program is to build a culture of life. And Dr. Bruchalski is certainly doing that through his current work and through his recent book release and in his practice. I do want to mention quickly before we get into the interview, there is some very brief discussion during this interview of abortion procedures. It is nothing too graphic, but abortion itself is pretty violent. Uh, So just be advised that there is some brief discussion of the violence of abortion during this first part of the interview. And I hope you enjoy listening to this interview nearly as much as I did recording it. Uh, So without further ado, here is Dr. Bruchowski. Very happy to be with you this week, and I am very happy especially to be joined this week by Dr. John Bruchalski. Dr. Bruchalski is a practicing OBGYN. He is the founder of the Tepiak Center in Fairfax, Virginia, which we are going to talk about today. And he is the author of the book, Two Patients, My Journey from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine. Dr. Bruchalski, I am excited to have you on this program. Thank you for joining me today. Cohen, it is my pleasure pleasure to uh, to be with uh, Spirit Catholic. So thank you. I There's so many things that I have that I want to talk to you about today, but I think we should start with the book. The book, again, Two Patients, My Journey from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine. Where did the impetus to write this book come from? Well, uh, after practicing in the field for 30 years as a life-affirming pro-life physician, So of my 40 years since I started medical school, 34 of them have been on the life side. The first six years, especially the last three of those six, I did abortions uh, first, second, and third trimester. So through God's grace, and uh, there for the grace of God go I, um, I saw both sides. Well... As you practice, you realize that there's something very wrong at the heart of medicine. Something is broken. There is a crisis. And the crisis is at the heart of medicine, but it's also at the heart of each and every one of us doctors, 
I'm 62, Colin, and uh, I read comics when I was younger. <laughs> I, I live comics now, it seems. God has a sense of humor. But the world has gone so um, incredibly upside down and distorted that, um, you know, you have to kind of trust in God's providence and uh, know that he's in charge, despite whatever you see. And so I wrote the book because there was a crisis in my heart, um, a cognitive dissonance in my brain, but my heart became incredibly hardened. And it wasn't only through, it was my conversion that flipped me. Literally, the prayers of my parents' intercessory prayer flipped me, and I wanted to share that experience with others who see the same thing I see or feel the same way I do or don't do that but would like to see how someone it happened to, to give them hope. And that's why I wrote the book. Well, we often hear what's in a name. Uh, so tell me about the name of the book, Two Patients. Uh, what <laughs> yeah. two patients is it, uh, Dr. John, that you're referring to? So um, for the last 34 years, the foundation of health and wholeness and healing and holiness is it's relational. It's about a relationship. And when I was practicing abortion because patient autonomy, medicine has become consumer-driven, not medically-driven. That's why they talk about reproductive health, because that is a service we provide, reproduction. It's what animals do. It's most base. When we talk about procreation, it means we're part of a bigger system, something bigger than ourselves. There is a higher power, and we're not it, as many um, addict, you know, addict uh, programs really start off in uh, step one. Amen. And so um, we realize that when I was practicing abortion, there was only one patient. Now, oh, life begins at conception, Bruchowski. No, it doesn't. Uh, it, hasn't, it hasn't been that way in medicine, because the definition changed in 73. It became at implantation. And today it's whenever the hell the mother wants it to begin, the woman. Because if she doesn't believe, if she wants an abortion in the third trimester, it's, remember, it's abortion on demand. And once we bought the lie that you can separate love and life through contraception, uh, because once again, at the core of this is just women's health. How do you destroy the family? You destroy it through the mother. Who's the mother? Well, that's a woman. Men can't be mothers, no matter how fluid words get today. And what happens is, is that um, we kind of, we left the limbic system alone. So the beautiful response that the Lord built into us for human flourishing, the, the desire to have intercourse or intimacy, based in marriage, which is faithful, free, fruitful, and forever, um, we actually stopped it with a chemical, with technology. And all of a sudden, abortion became the backup to failures in that technology. And you only then have to deal with the patient, meaning the woman who comes in and says, I want this, I'm a vending machine, I'm a service provider, that's where the word provider comes from, I'm a physician, I'm a doctor, I'm not a provider. Well, in the service model, we're all providers. We just provide what you want. And if it's technically feasible 
and it's legal and you want it, we got to give it. Well, uh, once I was on labor and delivery, and in one room I was saving the life of a 23-weeker because mommy wanted it, and I was whispering in her ear, um, it's okay, Jenny, we can get this, we can, we can help you. We'll keep the baby inside. We're doing everything we humanly can. There's fluids, there's medicines, there's antibiotics. You're doing great. You can do this. Encouraging, exhorting compassionately with her in the very next room separated by a six inch wall thick wall the mother didn't want a 23 weeker and i broke her water gave her pitocin blew the baby out into a freaking bucket i caught it lifted it up by its head and it felt a little too heavy put it on a scale and lo and behold at the core of my book I had to call the nursery because it was over 500 grams, which for you in the audience is 1.1 pounds. It's bigger than a old-fashioned pre-COVID pound can of coffee. Uh, now ground bags are about 11 uh, ounces or 12 ounces, not 16, and everything is uh, in a strange place now. However, I called this in, and this neonatologist, excellent, smart woman, comes in and says, hey, stop treating my patients as tumors. What do you mean, patient? I was taking care of my patient. You take care of your patient. Wait a second. We both call our, her the fetus. Oh, that was just born alive after an abortion. Cognitive dissonance? I was working at a pregnancy center at night, believe it or not, buddy. Colin, this was crazy. So after that incident... And after uh, a series of first at Guadalupe, where I heard, why are you hurting me? Then I went to Medjugorje, and I heard my whole life pass before me, and I found the mercy of God. I realized that I was taking care of two patients, maternal, fetal medicine. So I take care of mom, maternal aspects. That's, does the mom have diabetes? Does the mom have hypertension? Does the mom have lupus? Does the mom, is the mom bleeding? Is the, but I also take care of the fetus. Why? Because when my moms come in who want the child, when they hear that heartbeat at five weeks, six weeks, on an ultrasound, which my profession now says, oh, it doesn't happen until 20 weeks, are they, they just keep changing the goalposts, changing uh, no definitions. Way. So we are there, buddy. So I got to ask you. two patients, mom and child and the doctor. So I, I have to ask you, when I first saw the title of the book, I assumed that that was the explanation. We got two patients, we're talking about mom, and we're talking about the baby. Was there ever a, a moment where you thought, boy, this could really be a play on words, two patients? Because if we're talking about the moment where you started to have that little experience of cognitive dissonance that you mentioned, you also had two patients. You had one in one room, and you had another patient in the other room, and that was kind of like the beginning moment. So remember that, well... <laughs> because we're on radio and there's a time limit. Uh, yeah, Colin, your finger is on my pulse. It's also inside my heart. Two patients in either room. It's relational. As a doctor, I'm a wounded healer. I'm also a patient. She's a patient because I'm a gynecologist. Two, two patients. Well, now that I've come to know what John... St. John talks about being beloved and then love like he loves. I'm telling you, Cullen, we're all sinners. The wages of sin are what? 
death. That's a patient. We're all patients. And it's relational. Who's really the healer in the doctor-patient relationship? If the woman is holistic, if, if I treat the woman holistically, body, soul, and spirit, um, medicine only goes after the body. Psychiatry poorly goes after the psyche. But if you see the incredible continuity and the integration of what women's health can be from a Christian Catholic point of view, respect fertility, don't pollute the body with carcinogens, don't sterilize healthy body parts. Oh, by the way, treat children as gifts rather than sexually transmitted diseases. It goes on and on and on. Genetic, um, embryology is about genetics and science. It's all about science. What is the end of healing? What is the end of medicine for? I can tell you what I can do technologically. That's science. But it doesn't tell me what should medicine be used for. And so, yes, it's a relation between patient and doctor, the doctor-patient relationship, between the patient and her family, between the doctor and his practice and his profession, and most importantly, in the end, did I care for the sheep? Did I care for the least of my brothers and sisters? Me and God, Abba. Patient and Abba. And that's where it comes from. So, yeah, you're onto it, man. There's many ways to look at this. But the book's about, because we're so far past that point, you've got to start somewhere with other folks, and at least they understand two patients, a fetus uh, and a mom. Dr. John Bruchalski is my guest. This is Ready to Stand, Spirit Catholic Radio Network, talking about uh, your conversion from abortion provider to life-affirming medicine. I want to go back into that moment, Dr. John. You're talking about cognitive dissonance and what happened in the room when that neonatal doctor walked in and said, why mm-hmm. are you treating my patient like a tumor? Take <laughs> me into that moment and what happened kind of in your thoughts and then what happened moving forward from that moment. I she asked you to have coffee the next day, if I remember correctly. You're spot on. So she was essentially discipling me. If anyone went to church today, it's that line in Acts where we got to obey God, not man. And yesterday was all about um, you got to live love in service. You got to do it in Acts. So... She challenged me scientifically with her words and her veracity and her anger, for that matter. Because remember, I didn't, I didn't monitor that baby. I literally treated that baby as zero, less than zero. It needed to be killed. I treated it like vermin, like, um, you know, like some less than human. I then hit the button, and then she had to come in and intubate and get IVs in, and care for that child. That's the science. At the coffee the next morning, she said, you're better than this. So remember, my heart was so hardened by this point. This is the second year of my residency. I'm literally volunteering at a pregnancy center in an evangelical church at night, because I, I grew up in a great family, Cullen. They were Catholics. We said the rosary. We're Polish. We believe in the conversion of Russia to the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. We, I remember the, I was an altar boy. Um, we said the rosary. But as you slip into the tyranny of relativism through education in the Catholic system, well, your heart gets hardened. 
and you start off with little abortions and you end up with big abortions. You end up with contraception for tough marriages and you end up contracepting 13-year-olds so they can have sex with other 13-year-olds. I mean, it just leads hard-hearted. And that's when she says, Johnny, you're better than this at the coffee. You need to go on a retreat. I just got back from Medjugorje, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what's going on there. It was amazing for me as a Catholic. I know you don't believe anymore, but you should go. Two days later, my mother said, so remember, in the room, I'm a doctor because I'm the surgeon. Even though I was a resident, I did abortions the first two years of my residency. But in that room, medicine has become, no, health care has become doctors are gods. Science is the religion, right? Nice. That's the new wokeness. Gender fluidity, we just change the definition, we then repeat it a billion times, and then everybody buys it. And so what happens is, is that I was part of the new religion in, in that surgical delivery room. Hell, I was, the, I was making sure she's not hemorrhaging my patient. She didn't. So in that room, in that moment, you have to steal yourself. Whenever you do an if abortion is so good, why don't more doctors do it? Oh, I can't do an abortion, but I can't tell others to do it. Well, that same doctor will say, well, I can't do the abortion, but I'll refer you to somebody else. Why? If you think it's so good, let's all do it. We don't. 11%, 6% do abortions. Because it's so brutal, you have to steal your heart. You've got to clench your cheek muscle. You can't look away because you're a surgeon. You need to be thorough. You need to dismember. You need to cut. And now we're, with chemical abortions, we're, oh, we're going to do that at home, and we're not going to be there anymore, so it's easier on us, but it's going to be brutal for women who watch what happens in their toilet bowl, in their bathroom, in their bed. And my heart breaks because post-abortion trauma is real. I know it because I suffer from it. So you're spot on, buddy. I mean, this is real. And so at the moment, nothing. But at the next morning when I took some time and I love coffee, <laughs> man, this was – and then my mother calls two days later and says, hey, do you want to go to Yugoslavia with me? And she's trying to build it up. Build, oh, where are you going? Medjugorje. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. And that's what happened. Dr. John Bruchalski is my guest. Ready to stand, Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Uh, Dr. John, I want to stick on the topic of trauma. This is one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about. You talked about uh, uh, chemical abortions, uh, the RU486. Uh, as you know, a couple years ago, the FDA expanded the access. Now it's in this whole kind of legal battle again. But the first thing I thought of when this whole thing went down a couple years ago, even when it was only up to seven weeks that it was allowed, is now that it's women have to give 13, birth. right, right, go ahead. Well, so the women have to, they take the first pill and that uh, suffocates the baby basically. Then they take the second pill and that expels the baby. The first thing I thought about was we're going to deliver babies at home into our toilets and now we're going to do it up until 10 weeks. But you know what the thing about a 10 week old unborn child is? Looks a lot like a baby, doesn't it? It absolutely looks like a baby. And what do you think? This is, this is another interesting, sad reality. Um, the mifepristone, or RU486, starves the baby, and that starvation suffocates the baby. Remember, the baby's not breathing oxygen. 
So I don't use the word suffocate, even though that's technically probably correct, but it starves, it blocks the progesterone, the natural hormone that women's body makes. So it's starvation and then expulsion. So it's not a dilation and, you know, extermination. It's literally a D&E. It's a starvation and expulsion abortion. A six-week to seven-week-old baby is about the size, the sack and placenta look about the size of a, plus, of a, of a blueberry. A 10 to 11, 12-week is somewhere in the neighborhood of a golf ball or a small plum. The baby is maybe the size of your nail, and it looks like a baby. Now, that's one thing. So the trauma, so they're going to, so you take the medicine apart, and the second medicine is the um, misoprostol, that is the cytotech. It's the contraction that blows out the baby. It's crampy. It's, it's painful, mm-hmm. much, have much more bleeding and cramping than a period. But you do it in the safety of your home. So we used to worry about babies dying through home births which still happens, um, or in the hospital. But now we're, we're, we know what the outcome is going to be, and we want you to do it in the privacy of your home because it's a natural. And then, oh, by the way, if you bleed too much, go to the emergency room and lie to them and say, oh, I had a miscarriage. Um, if you destroy the history and the physical and the treatment and the diagnosis, you don't have medicine, Colin. You have mayhem. You have shamanism. You have uh, child sacrifice, for that matter, and yet we've all bought into it. And yet the poor, the women are the real victim. The child is dead, uh, you know, executed. The doctor that helped them, they're the real perpetrators of this because they know better. Shame on them. May God have mercy on them, as we would say. They know not what they do. And I, am, I, I can see... Because we've been doing this at home, medical abortions, for almost a decade now. It started off at seven weeks, and it was moved up to nine. Oh, and now uh, I'm seeing protocols for 13 weeks. There are bones formed between 10 and 13 weeks. Colin, they're going to see it, but the hemorrhaging, the blood clots, the liver-colored clots that come out and plop in the toilet, if you make it there, Stain the bed sheets on the hardwood or the carpet or the tile. It's like a crime scene. It breaks my heart. And that's what our profession is saying is essential health care. And it's the wave of the future. It breaks my heart, too. And I actually got my my introduction into more pro-life work came by talking to or counseling post-abortive women. And so oh I would go God. on these really? weekend wow. retreats uh, with uh, the organization Rachel's Vineyard, and yes. there'd be a time in the weekend when they would all go around and they would share their stories. And Dr. John, I know I heard it. I heard it firsthand. Yes, uh, the pain, the trauma, and, and all the physical symptoms that go along with it, right? I mean, the cramping and everything that you mentioned, but also just the psychological toll that it takes. Oh, 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 oh yeah. The how, many times in our pra- how many times in our practice do we hear the woman crying, 
years after the miscarriage, decades after the loss, the emptiness. And we're supposed to tell them, this doesn't matter, you did the right thing, you did the best you could. I just know that Romans 8.28 is real. All things work to the good to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm convinced that just like Silent No More came out of the surgical abortion realm, Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be longer silent and many, many more coming out of the chemical abortion realm because of this trauma. And obviously the mercy of God, at least in my life, I have to talk about this in interviews like this, and I don't see this anymore as shame or guilt. It's just sadness that I didn't love him, that he's thirsting for my love, as Mother Teresa in Chapter 10 told me about of my book, but I couldn't respond. I was blocked. I, I, but now that mercy is life-giving to me, even though it still hurts. And it's good because we have to lean into that hurt, and we have to continue to follow him. And, you know, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is real in my life, and uh, that's what you focus on. And so, yeah, uh, I'm so happy to hear, Cullen. And maybe that's why you have your finger on the pulse, because that ripple of abortion affects all of us in many ways. Some because our sister did it, our mother did it, our child did it, we did it, we were part of the couple that encouraged it or what have you. That ripple goes through kind of like the Sea of Galilee, and it infects, it pollutes, and we're here to do a real cleanup, and we are just instruments in the merciful heart of God that is absolutely the answer to this problem today. Again, that was part one of my interview with Dr. John Bruchowski. The book is called Two Patients, My Journey from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine. Be sure to tune in to part two next week, and we're going to talk more about his current life-affirming practice. Cullen at kvss.com is the email, C-U-L-L-E-N at kvss.com. Be sure to visit spiritcatholicradio.com slash ready to stand for more information on this program or to listen to any past episodes. Keep the dial tuned right here to Spirit Catholic Radio, Catholic programming around the clock, helping you encounter Jesus. Ready to Stand will return next Saturday with part two of this interview. Of course, you can always catch the Encore Sunday at 530. In the meantime, God bless you. Be ready to stand. And as always, be not afraid. You've just heard Ready to Stand on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Send your questions and comments to Cullen at kvss.com. That's Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N at kvss.com. Be ready to stand every Saturday afternoon at 5 and Sunday afternoon at 5.30.